This is the Andres Segovia Show. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Andres Segovia Show. I'm your host, Andres Segovia. As we near the end of the year, it's that time again where a lot of you are asking me, uh, what is the outlook for 2024, in this case, about real estate? Is it worthwhile getting into the market? It's funny because this question, actually, I get it year-round, but uh, most of you ask me around the holidays, maybe because when we finally see each other and you remember that I am in real estate. Uh, thanks for not remembering that. But uh, I have a guest on today that uh, is here to talk precisely about those very things. His name is John Kassman. He is the host of the Multifamily Insights podcast. And he's also, I believe you are the founder of the Kassman Capital Group. I'll let you introduce yourself. John, welcome to the Andres Segovia Show. Andres, thank you for having me. Listen, uh, excited to be here today. And it's funny that you get that question. I thought it was just me, but I get that question around <laughs> this time of year as well. Where people are always asking, is now a good time to invest? And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but to give your listeners a little bit of background on me, uh, my name is John Kasman. I am based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Although around this time of year, it is nice to get out there to California. <laughs> um, <laughs> it we, is. <laughs> we primarily invest in, in real estate and particularly apartments. And we've partnered with other busy professionals to invest in over $125 million worth of apartments. Prior to this, I was actually a full-time uh, marketer. I worked in marketing and advertising for about 15 years, working for big companies like General Motors, brands like Nike, Coors Light, Mountain Dew. Uh, and I did that for 15 years before making that transition into real estate. Yeah, you mentioned that I'm the host of the podcast. So yeah, I do podcasts, I do events and other things to help teach people how to invest in apartments. Uh, good. And let me ask you, what made you transition from um, the big mortar city and all that to this? Well, there were a couple things that happened. I think that the biggest was I was always interested in real estate because when I thought about how to make money and how to create wealth, um, certainly there are stocks and, and other things like that. But real estate was the one that felt uh, attainable. You know, you, yeah. it didn't feel like you had to be a, a super special person to own a piece of real estate. And that felt attainable to me. Um, so it started with just a, a notion of, okay, I think I can do that. I could buy a house. I could buy a two unit building. Um, and from there it went to, uh, really a vision that scaled beyond my belief. And the biggest thing that happened was, uh, I was working at General Motors when we went through bankruptcy and I watched mm. colleagues of mine get let go who did not have a plan B, you know, their plan was, they had this job, a really great job, right? They're working mm -hmm. at a company they probably dreamed of working at. Um, they were getting paid really well. They had a pension. They had all this great stuff. And they got let go with no plan B. And yeah. I did not have a pension. Uh, and I did not have really the same benefits that even they had. So I realized that, hey, you better find something else right away. Because at any moment, you know, this job, and not just this job, but any, any job, right? Any company they could look at you and the circumstances may change and you just may not be in their plans. So that made me really look to passive income. And as I looked to passive income, I went back to say, you know what, real estate, I think real estate's the thing we can do. And from there, um, I tried to figure out how do I scale a portfolio that gave me the time, flexibility and financial freedom I was looking for. Mm. You said 15 years ago, somewhere around there. Yeah, so, I was in corporate for 15 years. Okay. Oh, oh for 15 oh, well, years. Then you made yeah, for 15 change. years, yeah. I left I left <laughs> corporate America in 2018. 
2018. Oh, okay. All right. So um, about five years. No, I, I thought it was 15 years ago because I'm like, oh, that was right, right around the time the, the market crashed. So it's like, what? Like, well, that's what? when I was at GM. Yeah, that's when I was at yeah. GM for 15 years, right in 2008. Is I was sitting there watching my leadership on uh, the cable news shows talking about our company. So, right. Yeah, I know. So I, I think we all did. And um, and it's it's interesting that a lot of people, they, they want to attain it and they feel that they can't attain it, especially like, oh, it's a up economy or down economy. And there's all this mindsets about or understandings of how and when to approach. And they always say, oh, you got to strike where the iron is hot. And what I hear very, very often from um, from would be investors is like they like to call themselves um, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just waiting for the market to bottom out. And then I'll then I'm going to buy. It's like, well, it's been 25 years since you said that, uh, when are you going to strike? And some just never move on. Cause like, well, you'll never, unless you make the move, you won't. So uh, my, my approach uh, has been, and this is uh, my most uh, tuned into episode. So I actually just replay it every single January. It's called uh, the, the title of it is now the right time to buy. And my principles are whether it's an up economy or down economy, so if you're ready, able and willing, that's when you do it. It doesn't matter when, it's when you do it. It's like, well, Andres, who would buy now? I, and I told you off the air, a friend of mine just moved into her new home. First time home buyers. Hey, they, they got it done in California where it's supposed to be unattainable for a lot of people. And they got it done. So what's holding you back? So there's there's different principles. I, there's a model to, to your um, form of business though that, uh, that I would like for you to share because some people, when we think of traditional uh, purchasing or buying their way into a property, and they think, well, one, um, they got to get a, a hard money loans, which are, are expensive. They're looking for the fix and flip. That market's been dead in California for a very long time. But it's your model's a little different because technically the people aren't homeowners if i'm understanding that right right yeah absolutely and that's the thing that's different right we're not dealing with the residential side so we're not dealing with homeowners or someone who's going to live there that's a completely different model you know there was a time where i flipped houses and uh, i actually struggled you know i, I was not a good house flipper and part of that mm -hmm. was i knew i wasn't a good house flipper so i partnered with someone else who had that experience and that ended up not working out for me and it just mm -hmm. happens right that's part of business what i learned through that experience though and i already knew it it just really re uh, reconfirmed it for me i really want to keep my investing principles simple so the way we invest in real estate is we invest in income producing cash flowing appreciating assets so think about apartment buildings so we like apartment buildings because one there's multiple tenants these tenants pay rent each month and we buy in areas where demand is going to improve or we have a business plan where we can drive up rents and drive up the NOI or net operating income. And because we have this business plan to create more money, it's going to go up in value. It's actually a business that we're buying and we're buying this business based on the current operations. We're going to have our business plan to make the operation stronger. And then in the future, we should be able to sell at a higher price point. And the thing that goes back to the point you made is now a good time to buy. I say yes, because the thing that people have to keep in mind, which is different from real estate than say stocks or any other investment, real estate, the value only matter matters on two days, the day you buy it and the day you sell it. So if you're going to buy it today, you know what the value is based on that number. So mm -hmm. the only thing really have to do is make sure you control the day you sell it and again unlike residential real estate where 
maybe you want to move in three years or five years or whatever happens with an investment, you can put together a plan to hold it as long as necessary. And in our case, because we're doing commercial grade apartment level investments, we have property managers in place. We have a team in place. We have a business plan that we're implementing. So we're watching it and we're monitoring the, the marketplace and we're trying to figure out when does it make sense to exit? And we don't have to. And to have that flexibility gives us a lot of power. And that's why we think it's always a great time to invest because we can always adjust based on the market dynamics. Yeah. And it's the principle that you took from the, the flip side of things, because that, that's where a lot of people getting in, they kind of get stuck on that. And they also, they actually do apply that to multifamily residential, where we, we got to flip it. Then they run into the issues uh, that uh, some of the major cities have, where it's rent stabilization ordinances, because the, the, the buyer might want the, the property empty, so they can have uh, you know, a better collection on rents and things. So those difficulties that they're probably used to flipping a single family home and now they're applying it to multifamily, then they run into the issues. They got to hold it. Economy changes. Now they feel their, their mortgages underwater and all that. And then they just, you know, they start bowing out of it. And it's, it's like, it, there's an evolution in the, in the process that they need to do. And that's something that you did that people fail to understand. And uh, something that, cause I also do on property management and my audience knows this where when I talk to homeowners um, that own multifamily property and they come to tell me, so how do I deal with the RSO? How am I supposed to deal with housing inspectors and, and eventually maybe code enforcement that they're involved in? Oh, look, I got the city after me for whatever reason. And it's like, well, have you been tending your property? And most of the times, um, if some people are irresponsible, don't be surprised where the laws come from. Um, and of course, there are those that, that are, which is why there's me and my father and others that uh, we tend to have a relationship. It's like you, you forget this is a business yes it's your property but you made a business transaction for them to technically take care of your property for an exchange of, of funds and for any business whether whether they're wrong the customer is always right and if we remember those simple business principles you you got to apply the 80 20 rule uh to, to all this and then explaining to them it's like your, your best tenants will always be the one to you know give you the best return even a long-term tenant and all that and we like long-term tenancies because they take care of our buildings for us instead of leaving them empty and not getting the proper person in there you get a squadron and now you got to deal with that the people don't think about these things and there is that evolution it, it, the advantage i think that your model has is that you kind of take the legwork out of all of it guess what you guys are doing yeah and, and keep in mind i think your points are, are so important and to to play it back you know when you're dealing with people who are buying their own rentals buying their own apartments that's great and it's a phenomenal strategy. It's exactly how we kind of started scaling our own portfolio. But I also think it's really important for people to understand how much effort it takes to run and properly manage your buildings and your portfolio. If you have a full-time job, if you have kids, little ones, if you have other things you wanna do, you may not really wanna be kind of the day-to-day on-site property manager for a 10-unit building where you're getting the phone calls about toilet leaks or you're leasing it or you know you're doing all the property showings you may not want to take on that responsibility Correct. so just be really clear on the role you want to play uh mm -hmm. can you get 
proper third-party management? Is it worth the returns if you bring in third-party management? And if not, I think there is still a great strategy for you to invest in real estate with your knowledge because you know real estate works. Otherwise, you wouldn't be yeah. investing in it, right? Yeah. But maybe you don't need to be the manager. Maybe you don't need to be the landlord. And that's where our group kind of comes in, right? We partner with everyday professionals to pool capital together to go out there and buy larger properties so that investors can get the same benefits of investing in real estate without the headaches of being a landlord. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying even that's right for everybody. It mm -hmm. really depends on you and your personality. If you like control, you want to be the person who's going over to the property once a week, or you want to see the tenants yourselves and you want to see the units yourself, you do not want to invest passively, right? You want to be hands-on. Mm -hmm. You want to take on that responsibility. If that is not what you want and you simply want to put your money into some real estate and get a return, then that's where the passive investment style comes into play. But it's really important because you mentioned you know, in LA and I used to be in Chicago, right? So these mm -hmm. are cities where those landlord ordinances um, are really strict. Um, they are certainly favoring the resident. And if you're not following them, uh, it could be a really painful experience for you. <laughs> so yeah. you have to understand, you know, do, are you re really willing to invest that time and energy to understand the laws, to keep up the property the way the ordinance are asking you to? To make sure that, again, if you have any kind of government subsidies or any other programs that you have to abide by, they have kind of their own rules to abide by. So you have to just make sure you're staying on top of that. And if not, there may be other investing strategies that better fit your your situation. Yeah, and exactly. And I want to ask you a little bit about the, the model you do just for people to understand that there are other ways uh, to invest. Uh, one of the things that um, Mark on Real Estate the office that I'm um, co-broker in, is one of the things that we do is called the Wealth Academy. The Wealth Academy is to educate uh, property owners, current property owners, or even um, tenants looking to become property owners, how they can scale and build their wealth. Because that's like one of the uh, things that uh, you help is building generational wealth. And that's what we want to, generational wealth. Like some people like, well, I don't know where to begin. Um, I, I have a house. Like, well, you have a house. You have somewhere to begin. You already have a leg up from a renter because you have the home. And the renter could have the, the capital to make the move. So like, oh, great, you have the assets. So the question is, what kind of, is it hard cash assets or do you have the property assets? Let's see what we can work with here and then start scaling up from there. And that's something that my father ended up doing um, from very early on when he came to this country. One of the first things that he did to be able to eventually buy his house, um, I think, um, I'm I'm from the hood. Uh, I, was, I was born and raised in Compton Watts, so, uh, so that, that's where I come from. And that's uh, my father bought his first property. It was a triplex. Um, uh, my mom would tell me the stories about the splinters she would be taking out of the the feet of me and my little brother uh, because the, the the floorboards weren't weren't really there. They just they they hadn't even put carpet in there yet. But it's like, but this is this is our property. This is the first place we can call home. And the other two are for generating income for the family. My father has not sold that property. We still have it to this day. That was the beginning of everything for him. Um, you know, of course, we eventually moved out of there when we grew out of the, I think it was one or two bedrooms. Um, yeah, but it's everybody needs to understand in building generational wealth, and there's different ways to go about it. But it, with the mindset, some people are still stuck on it's only one way to go about it. Because um, uh, I saw on your website you have like a, a five point, unless I'm misunderstanding it, but a, a five point method to your model, the way it works. Is I, I'll, I'll let you walk through it instead of me trying to explain it for you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So our investing philosophy is this, right? So first and foremost, we are always taking a look at 
um, the market itself. So you talked about, you know, investing out in LA and I'm not, I don't know if your father went through all this, but, uh, sometimes we get lucky as investors It's true, but you know, you want to be in a market where there's demand and we also want to look at future demand. So we're looking at that, right? We're looking at demand. We're looking at the market. We're looking at growth, population growth. Uh, the second thing we're looking at is we want to understand what's driving it. What's the, uh, who are the employers? What's driving the economy? So we're looking at industry diversification. Uh, we are looking at economic growth. Uh, are those companies growing? Are they adding more jobs to the industry? Uh, and then we want to turn around and we want to start paying attention to the multifamily trends. So are multifamily rents up? Are they down? What's going on in the multifamily sector? Is it easy to do business there? Are there a lot of laws that prohibit us from increasing rents or uh, from building uh, additions? Um, what are the laws there? And then finally, we want to pay attention to the overall sector and the overall climate. Uh, is there new construction taking place? What else is there? So these are the things we're paying attention to whenever we're looking at a property or looking at an investment. And our number one criteria is capital preservation. You know, if investors put their money with us, we want to make sure that we give them their money back. Yes, we want to grow it. Yes, we want to deliver these great returns. But first and foremost, we want to assess the risk where we can deliver the returns back to those investors. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing we're looking at. The second thing is we're looking to mitigate risk. Every investment has risk. I don't care what anyone tells you otherwise. Mm. If it's an investment, it has risk. There's a way to lose money or for it not to work out. So what are those risks and how do you mitigate those risks? So that's the second thing we're paying attention to. Some of those risks, as we just talked about, are outside factors like the market. You know, if the city comes in and says you can't do whatever you want to do, that's going to be a risk. That's going to be a problem, right? If they yeah. tell you can't raise rent because of rent control or uh, maybe you wanted Airbnb your place, but they, they stopped that or they have an ordinance where you can't do Airbnb. Those are potential risk, right? So we want to understand those things. What if people don't want to live there? What if they don't want to pay more money in rent, right? All of that is a risk too. You want to take rents up to $1,500 and there aren't people in that area who want to live there for $1,500. So that's a potential risk, right? So there we're going to take a look at the market, we're going to look at where rents are going, where jobs and income is going. We want to make sure we understand what people are looking for there. So we're always looking at risk. We're always looking at uh, the industry. And then I would say last, we're giving ourselves flexibility on the back end. What's our business plan? What options do we have? You know, if we're able to exceed our business plan, can we exit early? If we are running behind our business plan, can we hold it longer? You know, what options and flexibility do we have? That allows us to sleep at night, and I think it allows our investors to sleep at night, knowing mm -hmm. that we are doing that first thing, which is preserving capital. Yeah, and what markets um, are, are you seeing that these investments are more secure, at least as of late? Because a lot of people are concerned about them, this economy. Yeah, the market is definitely all over the place. I would say we focus on the Midwest. So I am based in Cincinnati. So we go uh, pretty much a two-hour radius. So think yeah. Columbus, Indianapolis, Louisville, Kentucky, those are markets that uh, we like a lot. We do invest in the Southeast region as well. Um, we do not have anything on the, the West Coast, and that has less to do with, you know, any perception about the West Coast, more about ease and access. You know, it's further away for us to get to. And the thing with the Midwest that we like is typically there's really good cash flow. These markets are um, popular and in-demand markets, but geographically it's well-located. And when you think about some of the, the economies that did well during the, the COVID time, um, 
transportation logistics was one of the things we absolutely needed mm-hmm. in UPS, FedEx, like they're all located here. Um, as, as a matter of fact, Amazon built a one and a half billion dollar airport airport hub uh, in Cincinnati. You know, so this is something that they they um, I think they're in the final phase of building it out now. But that's something that they've committed to because they want same day deliveries. They want mm-hmm. that to be the standard. So those are the kind of things we pay attention to because those jobs uh, are, are pretty evergreen and they tend to do well. They're recession resistant because as we know from COVID, uh, people want their packages. <laughs> you know, yeah. you order something, you're yeah. going to want that. And you need people to fit to be able to physically either load it up or at least to deliver it. Um, things like tech, on the other hand, certainly important. But when we see the economy start to pull back, well, some of those VC capital dollars start to pull back as well. And maybe those jobs start to disappear or they're not quite as plentiful as they were in the past. So, you know, we like those jobs that are kind of more blue collar, you know, the logistic jobs, the service industry jobs. Those are the folks who end up being our renters. So we like to look for uh, cities and areas where uh, we can find those individuals. Yeah. And that's an excellent point uh, to that with respect to which uh, employees will type of work you're looking for. Uh, because in the case of here, for those that invested, say Silicon Valley, that's probably the, uh, Cupertino, the ones that have the biggest pool, of course, uh, um, well, Microsoft's in Richmond, but that would be uh, Facebook, Google, um, Apple. And they had committed to building thousands of units that went all out the window when remote learning came, came along. So a lot of those projects are canceled. Uh, so that changed the dynamics of things and it shifted the market uh, in, in certain areas, obviously, uh, including Orange County, where they were going to be building certain hubs that didn't happen. Um, but you reminded me of what Amazon was doing out there because, well, yeah, I remember every time I look at all your shipments on the way, it's all coming from Kentucky. So like, oh, yeah, it should be here like in two days that they put on a plane. Um, yeah, th- those are very important logistics. And that's and that's just it that you know, people are intimidated by getting into real estate because they have that concern for which is why like, well, what makes these seasoned investors um, stick with it? How like, people were asking me, Andres, how can you tell people to still be buying after a bottomed out market because the cheapest time to buy, if you got the means to get it or when it's so high, like, how can you justify having to pay for a property where it's not appraising at value? Because the interest rate is at all record low. You know, the, the, there's these little things that, that make all the difference in the world. It's like, well, I'm going to wait for the price to drop. Yeah, but the interest rate now is very high. So, like, oh, now I have a multifamily property. I want to raise rents on them. But if you're in Los Angeles, you can't raise rents until February 2024 when the COVID order emergency is finally lifted. That's four years without being able to raise a rent. And not to mention the backlog of everybody that's been dealing with the, the eviction moratoriums. It's all these things it can be an intimidating thing for someone to get into. Um, but I tell them, you can always start with the basics. When you buy a home for yourself, you're investing in yourself, in your family. And even if you do nothing with that home for whatever amount of time you have left, you're passing it on to your children. You're making an investment in them where they can do something with it. That's the part of generational wealth. They probably have, uh, if they sold the seeds right, they'll be able to do something with it. But uh, most people are stuck on, well, I have to, no, I have to get that 10 units um, to start off. If I can't get it, then I won't go, I won't do anything. Um, and I think that's more the fault of some of the articles that I've seen on business uh, on that front. Um, but as, as you also demonstrated, there isn't one 
one clean cut way to go about it. You've taken a lot of things that you learned along the way uh, to be able to do it. And I actually do like that you keep it within a, a radius because uh, um, one of my first uh, guests on my show uh, is a buddy of mine that uh, he just does out-of-state investing. It's like, you're flying everywhere. <laughs> it's, yeah, he's, he's everywhere. He's flying everywhere. He's, he lived in Los Angeles for a time, then he eventually moved to, to Phoenix. He's back in, uh, in, in Southern California, but he, he's just flying out to, to his properties. Uh, but he built a system that works for him. So kudos. You know, and uh, that's, there's more than one way to, uh, to go about it. Um, I was getting a little sentimental on all that. Yeah, just a moment ago. So I'm losing my train of thought here. Uh, But uh, let me toss it over to you. And uh, some of the other things maybe on your model that that you can um, elaborate on or maybe some commentary on what I just said. Yeah, I think that one thing I want (laughs) all of your listeners to understand is that time in the market is more important than timing the market. Mm. And so many people, like you said, they're waiting for the market to bottom out. They're waiting for 2011 pricing to come back. Listen, in 2011, we didn't know it was 2011 pricing. I promise you. I was searching and looking at 2011. And the only reason I knew the market was starting to shift is I would make a list. My very first property was a two-unit in North Center uh, in Chicago. And my wife and I made a list. We would go on um, um, the MLS with our, with our agent. And mm-hmm. we made a list of all the properties that fit our criteria. And we watched, we would just look at that list <laughs> and a month or two would go by. And then finally, one of the properties got sold. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. We had our top 15 for two months, no moving on any of them. And one finally moved. So we added another property to go back to that top 15. Well, two more came off the list. Huh? Interesting. Hmm. The next week, five more came off. Okay, wait oh. a minute. What's going on now? Mm. Two months, nothing. And now within about a three-week period, about seven or eight of those units or properties started to come off. So guess what? My wife and I said, okay, we need to kind of get serious now with our list. Let's go tour these properties. Let's look at them and see. We found two we really liked, one we really liked, and someone put an offer right before we could. Mm. Uh, there was another one that popped up on a Friday, um, yeah, a, a Thursday night. We called our broker said hey i want the first showing on this he gave us a showing saturday at 10 a.m somebody else got there saturday at 9 30. i kid you not we were the second showing somebody walked out we saw them with papers in their hands and i'm oh. like i know they didn't get this under contract as the first person to see it sure enough they got it under contract, wow. right yeah. so that helped us realize we were at the bottom because we were we were there in it Mm. And the reality is, if you're not literally in it, looking at deals, analyzing it, watching it on a day-by-day basis, you're not going to know. And even then, it wasn't that it was the bottom. It was just a, okay, deals are starting to move now. If we want this property, we're going to have to do something and do it now because they're not. we don't have the two-month luxury of just waiting around. So I say that to say you have to take action to understand what's happening in the market. If you're just sitting on the sidelines waiting to read a report that says, oh, you know, Deals are not all time low or interest rates have bottomed out or whatever your headline you're waiting for. It's too late. It will have already happened. Okay. Data looks backwards. Those headlines are looking backwards. They're taking a look at what happened in Q3 2023, and then they're going to report on it. You have to be in it in during the quarter <laughs> to see it real time to know, okay, this is it. Even with that said, if I would have known, I would have bought everything I could have, mm-hmm. right? 
I would have, yeah. I would have, I would have cashed out my 401k. I would have <laughs> done everything I could and bought as much real estate as I, as I could possibly buy. If I would have known it was the bottom, you're not going to know that's revisionist history. The best thing you can do is start investing now, start that time in the market so that you are continuing to grow, you're continuing to scale, you're starting to build those relationships. And you can always acquire more, get more aggressive with your investing approach as you're in the market if you believe that now is the right time to buy or in the future, it's the right time to buy. You can always double down if you feel like it's a great time to acquire more assets or if you feel like interest rates are crazy low and you wanna lock those in, right? Mm -hmm. You can always make moves based on what you're seeing real time in the market but you're not going to build that confidence up if you're not actually in the market. To your point, people have been saying this for 23 years. Um, I know investors who, since I started seriously investing in commercial back in 2017, um, they told me, oh, it's about to bottom out. And keep in mind, at that point, we had been on a, like a six-year bull run. So it made mm. sense that what they were saying, but they stopped investing in 2018. You know, And it's mm. not till right here towards the end of 2023, we're actually starting to see that. So they missed an entire cycle of investing. Yeah. So I don't believe in trying to time the market or, Hey, I'm gonna wait for this. Like just, just invest. And, and for us, the way we say that is because we're investing in cash flowing assets. Mm. I would not say this if I was flipping, but we're buying something that should cash flow period. So it really doesn't matter if we hold it, you know, a certain period of time, right? We're going to cash flow. It's making money. It's paying for itself. And it's going to hopefully create a little profit for us. So because we take that approach, we don't have to worry as much about, you know, waiting on this or trying to time the market or anything like that. And that's the approach we would suggest for people is invest in income producing cash flowing assets because the property is going to pay for itself. And now you're not as worried about, okay, well, hey, I'm losing money every month. Did I really buy this at the right time? And maybe, you know, the things that come in from that standpoint. Yeah. And also to, to jump on that in um, income producing property, the only certain income that keeps going up is rent, even with RSLs. Technically, you will eventually raise it. Even if it's on the schedule, it's going to go up. And some people fail to uh, to see that. Um, it's, it's both a good thing and a bad thing about it being so simple about you know, <laughs> investing in real estate. It's also like, well, it's not that simple. <laughs> it, like we discussed so it's many simple, things. It's simple, not easy, right? It's, <laughs> it's simple, simple, not easy. easy. Yes. But yeah, anyways, this... let's, let's use the, your example, right? You mentioned your father buying that, that property, that three unit, right? Mm -hmm. And when people talk about, oh, I'm waiting for the market, here's a great question. Do you think the market is going to go up over the next 30 years? You think that property is going to be worth more in 30 years? What oh, about 10 wrong. years, right? Yeah. And if the answer is yes to both of those, you've got your answer. I'm not asking, do you yeah. think it's going to be worth more next year mm -hmm. or in six months or in 18 months? Like, I, who knows? But in 10 years, I think most of us would agree that we would expect the property values to be higher in 10 years and definitely in 20 years. Yeah. Right. So in that case, what are you waiting for? Yeah. And I think it's because of just how much attention was drawn to the 2007, 2008 uh, housing meltdown that um, for a lot of people, as their point of reference, 
for someone like me that's 39, um, there's a little bit more reference to my life experiences. Uh, the housing bubble that no one talks about anymore, it seems, because they talk about that one is the housing cr crash in the 90s. It's like, well, how come no one mentioned that? Or what about the housing alone in the 80s? And just keep going backwards. There's always something, but I, I think what's... Uh, I think because it kind of brought the world to its knees that they kind of look at 2008 as the the big marker and like well that that's what happens when um the you the policies in place disincentivize protections for loans that then people can't pay back and then you get the monster that happened with uh and what happened thereafter though that nobody really talks about is within 10 years all that appreciation that took 30 years to build was basically recovered and in some cases surpassed. And that is bonkers. And everybody thought for sure, COVID is going to make the prices go down. They went up and, and I was the, I, I feel like I was the only one telling people that you're going to buy now, buy during this time. It's like, why? Because people that are high earned renters, which we have a lot here in California, a lot of high earned renters that they never believed in buying, didn't like the idea of being stuck in a four walled room for four weeks, they went out to the market. Now you're competing as 20, 40, no joke, 40 different people, different customers per showing. I mean, it was insane. And even when the interest rates went up, okay, from 40 to 20, it's like you're still dealing with 20. And you had sellers asking, oh, um, remove your contingency criteria for appraisals. Like, oh my goodness, it was, it was an insane, time even like two or three years later after after COVID, it's like look you thought for sure that this is the it's going to bottom out so then it's like like you said we didn't know we're in the bottom and we're in the bottom so it's it's like when you're ready able and willing that's what i said at the beginning you you take action i think i said it before we started recording so if i reiterated audience i'm sorry but i've known people for 25 years that said they're waiting for the market to bottom out so they can buy they're still renting. It's like a lot of it's just talk. So it does start with the mindset. And like you had that mental mindset. You made that shift. Um, my father did. And because it was ingrained in me, I became an investor at a very, very young age. What I didn't invest in was a, was a primary residence until much later. But uh, I'm happy to uh, finally have my four kids and my wife in a home we call our own. It's like, yeah, this is, this is, not meant to flip this is for us <laughs> so um you know you gotta get kind of get out of that funk but uh it's it, it's all starts with your mindset and if we're being data driven is important but you can't translate that data then it really means nothing um and that also goes to uh where the data is coming from 2019 this is when i um i launched my uh, the rebirth of my podcast in a way where i, sh I started emphasizing more of the real estate side of things um I was mainly ever just promoting myself and, and my business services. But one thing that I kept getting was every time my searches would come up, I would see, is buying a home a good investment? Because that's one of the episodes that I made. But you see Forbes, Business Insiders. This is 2019, by the way. Bad. Don't invest in a home. And I see the articles. They were from 2018. I'm like, hold on. You guys have been saying for like 12 to 18 months to not buy a home when interest rates are historic low. What's going on here? And it's because it was the investor's mindset trying to coach people that were trying to graduate from being a renter to a homeowner that was disincentivizing them. Guess what I saw over the summer? These same uh, articles are now saying now is a great time to buy. Yeah, after people, it, the, the renters probably expended their savings. You're telling them to go buy now. It's like, 
that's why I tell people, and that's why, again, and I put the, the the SOCs, the search engine optimization, to make sure is like make sure that this episode is the one that comes up in the first searches. Now is the time when you're ready, able, and willing take it. And if you're not able to now, find out what you need to be ready. So those are the studies that you can take, like just like you. That's what your company does. That's what anybody getting into anything does. But it's this mindset. It's kind of the retail mindset. No, I'm waiting for Black Friday. It's like what? What? <laughs> it's like okay, but it's not on the calendar anywhere. So yeah, that's uh, that. That definitely is a. Uh, thing there uh, and i i don't want to be remiss if i don't bring this up so for your podcast um because i imagine you, you cover this but um also with a lot of people that deal with in the industry um is this where what people can learn because what multi well let me, let me walk this back a little bit multi-family because some people think multi-family or residential you mentioned commercial do you do both or one or the other we do a little bit of both i mean most of it is um it does lean more on the commercial side, but I would say a lot of the principles are, are, are similar. And I started with multifamily residential with two unit, three unit, uh, before mm -hmm. into an eight unit building. So I completely understand that. Um, and yeah, so our show multifamily insights will teach people how to invest in multifamily, whether you want to be active or passive, uh, everything from, you know, managing tenants to raising capital for deals to looking for red flags and what to look for and operators, uh, property management companies that you hire, uh, all those kind of things we get into on the show, speaking with other successful investors, industry professionals, property management companies, vendors, technologists, all those different things. Um, you know, we've, we're 550 plus episodes in, so there's a great database of content there. So whatever yeah. it is specifically you're looking for, we've probably interviewed somebody on that topic. Um, I want to go back to what you said, though, about that person who has been waiting to invest. I think one thing that, that holds people back beyond just mindset, it, well, I guess it's part of mindset, right? Mm -hmm. It's understanding how to get information and understanding that a lot of times, you know, that, that fear uh, they say stands for false evidence appearing real. And the first thing that seems counterintuitive is that, well, I don't have enough money to invest in my first deal. You know, that that seems logical, right? It's like, okay, to buy a property, you need money. I don't have a whole lot of money. But if you really think about it and you understand and process, one, you may have more access to capital than you believe. And then two, there may be programs out there that can help you. So that first deal I did uh, was a two-unit building. We lived in one unit, rented out the other. Um, but we got a loan, which was an FHA loan, which I didn't mm -hmm. even know about prior to, you know, saving up all my money and going to look for a property. Mm -hmm. And with an FHA loan, you can put down as little as 3.5% of the entire capital, which means you're going to get 96.5% loan, uh, loan of value uh, on, on that deal. So... If you're going to live in a property, and especially if you have kind of a clear path of adding value, if you're going to renovate the kitchen or, or do something to add value to it, it is a great loan to get started. Um, and for me, it was a game changer. You know, that loan allowed us to take the money we thought we were going to need for the down payment, and we put it into the property. We renovated the kitchen. We redid the outside area, the exterior, the landscaping. And all the work we did actually allowed us to create six figures worth of equity uh, nice. to that project. And for me, that was the sign that, oh, I knew the real estate thing worked, right? Like I read books and, you know, I've read enough stuff about it. So I knew yeah. it worked, but I didn't know anybody who actually did it, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
for me to actually do that and to get it, it made it real and it allowed me to double down. And I think for you, it's probably seeing your, your father, right? You know, invest yeah. in that, that three unit and the work he took. And, and if it's still in the family, we can only imagine how much it's appreciated over this time, right? So yeah. that made it real to you. And the reality is most of us talk about generational wealth, but we're, we're not willing to take that first step of where they're creating it. And a job is not going to create generational wealth, mm-hmm. you know? And the reason I say it, I don't care how much money you make. You can make a million dollars a year. Generational wealth comes down to assets because the moment you stop working when you have a job, there's no more income. You can't mm-hmm. pass your degree or your title on to your kids. So all you have are your assets. So that could be cash, certainly. Um, but you need to find a way to create assets. So it's cash. It could be, again, income producing properties, businesses, whatever it is. That's what goes on your balance sheet, right? That's what you're going to be given to your heirs. So you need to invest in that. And if you're not taking the time to identify what those assets are that you're going to invest in now, or you're not taking steps to create and invest in assets, you're doing yourself a disservice. It's not enough to have a good salary. You've got to figure out how to create assets. That's going to get you on that path of creating generational wealth. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to instill in my children uh, to make sure that we don't lose it. Because uh, it's very easy to spoil my children. I know that uh, my my parents spoil, well, my mom <laughs> spoils my kids. I was like, well, I I didn't get any of that when I was growing up. You know? So like, like not that I don't mind them having it, but it's like, oh, mom, just don't condition them because then they're going to have this expectation. Um, so then when I tell them stories about how I grew up, they're like, they, they can't even register. It's like, what do you mean that your, your crib was a, a plastic baby tub it's like well that's all they could get for me you know that's that's my humble roots not to mention my parents are from homelessness in the third world country now that's where they come from you know it's a, and they were able to live what is still known as the american dream here it's, yeah. it's attainable and what sounds like to me just like my father it, it sounds like because you said you you've read you studied a lot of these things you're the the trailblazer for your family that, that's what i'm getting that's from. fair yeah that's fair to say yeah, and uh, and now look at you now. You're setting the bar really high, by the way, for your family. So, <laughs> and so your kids have expectations. I know I thought I had a guy on my father's shadow, so that that became a thing too. But that's also something that you planting the roots down um, through a business, uh, aka real estate here too, um, where the roots are being set down. To they'll be here long after we are, and who knows? That's passed on from who knows to the next generation and the generation afterwards. Isn't that what uh, uh, sometimes monuments are for? It's like, oh, that was passed down from this so many times. That That's real estate. It's it, it's amazing how this has been in, instilled in humanity. And um, I, I want everybody that can, I, I, for, for the ranchers, especially here that I deal um, because of what I deal with in Los Angeles and Orange County, uh, where there's always a a complaint about property owners, not not us, but uh, they complain about landlords and stuff. It's like, well, stick it to them, become a property owner. <laughs> now you're their competition. And some of them are like, yeah, that makes a good point. Uh, some of those individuals that spend so long waiting, 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 they cashed in finally in supposedly the hardest year in California, in Los Angeles of all places. And they did, they finally found a home further out than they would have wanted, but they took the advice, they ran with it, they got a home, they called their own and they're happy. And that's what matters there's a financial freedom that comes with it and for those that uh, 
need to know you, they heard a, a lot of the logistics that are involved when um, owning a multifamily property, but even in owning a home where people don't think about this and now they'll understand the, the landlord. It's like, okay, so now you have homeowner's insurance and you have the utilities. You got to look after yourself and you haven't covered it before. If you have a yard, now you got to maintain the yard, which costs money, which asks you utilities um, and any other expenses that are associated with the cost of living and studies show that property owners tend to save money more than renters do because it's like disposable income for renters because they don't have a financial obligation or responsibility. But over here, uh, property owners do save because they have something to take care of. And it, it's kind of like a parent with a child and where you have that, that uh, fiscal responsibility. So there's a mental shift that takes place. Again, this is all mindset uh, that shifts and it all happens with, uh, with real estate. And as I, I tell my audience here too, it's like, hey, that's where your freedoms begin. Those, those are your rights, property rights. Well, under attack in this country, you grab a hold of them and you know make the most of it. And then you'll realize what you can pass on to your children thereafter. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's all part of this whole generational uh, wealth building. And I, I think uh, your model is is pretty unique. Um, I guess let me ask you this about, about your model. It's because I'm here in the West Coast. Uh, is your... I, the way I, the way I was taking it, and for the, for the layman that's probably hearing this, so it's kind of like uh, buying into a program in a way, where it's like, well, I'm, I'm investing in stocks, but instead of stocks, I'm investing in you to invest in real estate. Would that be a fair characterization? Uh, not quite. So I would say it this way. Um, let's say um, ten people. I'll, I'll use this example, right? Let's say ten people all had a hundred thousand dollars, and all of us want to invest in real estate. Well, we could all buy. 10 single family homes or whatever we want to get separately, right? Mm -hmm. And we can buy that and manage it ourselves or hire a property management company. What we do is the 10 of us, instead of doing it individually, we come together. So now instead of $100,000 each, we now have a million dollars. And we take that million dollars and we may go get us a $3 million property, right? So got our down payment, a little bit of money for reserves. And now we can have a professional property management company, maybe one of us, manages that property management company and the rest of us get the same benefits of being owners without having to do having to do the day-to-day -day elements of it mm -hmm. so what mm -hmm. essentially happens is we create an llc and our investors own shares of the llc which owns the real estate and they get all the perks of owning the real estate which is again the tax break so we get our depreciation our bonus depreciation all that passes through directly to our investors it is a passive income so it, it qualifies for all of the uh, all that from a tax standpoint, uh, but they get the direct ownership. So again, they get to take all of that but because they're in a limited position. They actually don't have the same exposure. So they're a limited partner, which means that uh, if there were any lawsuits or anything like that, they're not personally liable for any of those kind of things. The, this, the company takes that on. The general partnership partners have a little bit of exposure but the limited partners have no more exposure in that. So that's a little bit different than if you were to invest in a property yourself. Obviously, you yeah. want to get insurance or you want to get other things to protect yourself. But in this case, there is a little bit of separation that happens. And I would say, you know, the, the people who tend to invest with us are people who are uh, either busy professionals who get real estate but don't really want to be a landlord themselves or mm -hmm. looking more for the long term. They want a combination of cash flow as well as upside appreciation. They want the tax benefits. And to give you a little context, on most of our deals, uh, if you were to invest, let's just say $50,000 in a deal of ours, typically uh, we are providing about twenty dollars to $25,000 
in uh, paper losses. Um, now, again, that's not guaranteed, but um, that's a paper loss, which means you're able to take that off of other passive income that you have. So for some of our really sophisticated uh, investors, they love to invest just to get the paper losses so they can reduce their tax liability. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of different reasons. Um, we have folks who are maybe in retirement, but I would say who there are people who should not invest with us too, right? <laughs> Again, if you really want to be hands-on and, and make all the decisions yourselves and see the property, this is not what you want to do because you're not going to have mm -hmm. that access, right? If yeah. you have very limited capital, you don't have the money to invest. Well, every investment has risk and our minimum investment is $50,000. So that is one thing that is a barrier. So for some of those folks, it may not be a good fit. Um, but I would say too, whether it's with us or even the stuff you're doing, um, again, people sometimes have retirement dollars that they can access and people may not know that a lot of times you can roll over those retirement dollars into a self-directed account and then use that to invest in real estate. Now that can't be for self-dealing. You can't go live in the property, Correct. but you yeah. can invest. If it's a true investment, you can do it as an investment vehicle. Um, so I'm a firm believer of live where you want to live. California is one of the you know most beautiful places in the in the world. Uh, definitely one of the most beautiful states that we have in the in the U.S. So if you want to live in California, it makes a ton of sense. But invest where it makes sense for you. If you could be hands on mm -hmm. and navigate the landlord ordinances in your market, by all means do that. If you don't have the time, the energy, or you're just you know not comfortable with it, then invest outside of that area, which I know a lot of people do. But that's where it yeah. makes sense to maybe partner with a group like ours as opposed to trying to take that on yourself. Yeah, and I'm glad you spelled it out uh, because I don't want to speak it for you, uh, but uh, that's um, that structure is what some people do want to do. They, they partner up with us. Um, you know, well, similar approach at a smaller scale, I would say. And yeah, then they, they cash out in a way. And so um, I, I like that. I thank you for explaining that because I know that there's going to be people that uh, a lot of the stuff flies over their head because um, they're, they're hit by a lot of information and uh, a lot of people don't understand that there's just so much to just that nutshell that you just shared there at the end. It's like the possibilities that you can do. Talk to your CPA folks. If you have a, a your, your, your IRA, your whatever other retirement accounts you might have and in investments, because um, there are things that you technically can do with it. But I, as a licensed real estate broker, cannot tell you what to do with this. I can tell you, <laughs> talk to your tax uh, attorney or your tax uh, preparer, anybody, let them do the explanation for you. Um, but yeah, there's just so much that, th that they can do and what the benefits means. That's why when it comes to owning a real estate or it's like mortgage, uh, you're investing into your property interest, investing into um, your. Oh my goodness! Did I just mix these up? I'm sorry. I'm hungry. <laughs> Remember, I told you it's the lunch hour. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm getting my catchphrases wrong here. But the point is that where you can be taking investment into your property and also taking a tax benefit from it. And that's what you can do with the mortgage that you cannot do with rent. So when people are concerned, like, well, I don't want to get into commitment, even at a limited level, I don't know. That's, that's a big commitment. Well, let me ask you this. When are you going to pay off your rent? You don't. There's no end game. You might as well start a plan and it starts somewhere. And it's all the mindset. You got the right mindset. It's like, I want to finish this. Okay, then get going. Ready, able, and willing, do it. You're uh, what was that timeline catchphrase that you just had uh, uh, earlier? I like that one. Time in the market is more important than timing the market.
Yes, yes, and uh, I think that's uh, you know I I think that that's enough to give the audience here to so to to end on a on a high note on that one. Uh, so I I do appreciate your time, but uh, before uh, we wrap for the audience, uh, by all means let them know where uh, they can learn more about your company and what you do, and maybe the socials where they can you know, keep in touch with you. Yeah, listen, we've got our podcast, Multifamily Insights, which is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. And then if you're interested in learning more about the deal structures or some of the deals that I mentioned, uh, it is a lot to take in uh, in a very brief moment. So we have a sample deal package on our website. You can go to kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. And there you can access it and just start wrapping your head around what does this look like? What does it mean? How does it work? All that information is right there. Again, it's kasmancapital.com slash sample deal sample deal and for those of you listening on the podcast all these notes will be available at the show notes accompanies episode at www.theinterestingover.com john thank you so very much for joining me on the interesting over show we're wrapping for the audience but don't hang up yet but thank you so very much uh, you know what i like to pick your brain maybe uh, who knows maybe around this time next year we might be able to talk again no i love it thank you for having me today i appreciate it